The following sermon by Jonathan Edwards is called Sinners Under the Means of Grace Are Ordinarily More Hardened in Sin Than the Heathen. Before we begin this sermon, I'm reading from a preface to a book written in 1676 by Benjamin Stoneham on a parable of the Ten Virgins because it is so fitting here. To the reader, as in all ages, it has been Satan's design to blind the minds of men, even from our first parents, whom he has soon rocked into a dead sleep with all their posterity, and which they have lain until now, had not Christ awakened them. So ever since, and more eminently in the last times, he is so employed, all things concurring to the accomplishments of his design. The world, which has ordinarily been a pricking briar, by that means preventing some men sleeping, has been turned into a bed of ease. And the watchmen, by whom slumberers should have been awakened, have supported them with pillows. Yea, men have so been disposed to sleep, that they have closed their own eyes, until the best have slumbered and the most are fast asleep, which has ever been dangerous, but now more than ever. Therefore the Lord Jesus Christ, who was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, has knocked at such sleepers' doors by his awakening providences, and by his servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. But now the danger of sleeping unto death is so great that he sends forth a crier at midnight to prevent the ruin that would overwhelm those sleepers by the morning. This is a critical hour, and a last application those that do not then recover, perish forever. Were we sensible of the present danger of such a nature, we should not be offended at such plain dealing. Quote. And now the sermon by Jonathan Edwards. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Matthew 11, verse 21. The part of the land of Israel, wherein Christ spent the greater part of his life, was Galilee, which was the northernmost part of the country, including that part of the country which had formerly been possessed by the tribes of Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali on this side of Jordan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh beyond Jordan, which was called Galilee of the Gentiles. This region of Galilee was distinct from that which was called Judea, John 4, verse 3. He left Judea to go into Galilee. That country which was called Judea in those times was only the fourth part of the land of Canaan. It took its name from the tribe of Judah and included all that part of the country which had formerly been subject to the kings of Judah. The city of Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary dwelt, and where Christ dwelt with him till the time of his public ministry, was the city of Galilee, which was a city on the western side of the country. But after that he entered on his public ministry, he was conversant chiefly in that part of Galilee, that was on the eastern side next to Jordan and the land of Gennesareth, and the Sea of Galilee, 
Where were the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum? which were cities wherein he was especially conversant, where he spent the greater part of the three years and a half of his public ministry. We are told in the context that they were cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. The 20th verse. Indeed, Christ was often in Judea at Jerusalem, or he was wont to go up there to the public feasts, as it was ordained in the law, that all the males should appear before the Lord three times in a year, before the Lord in the place that he should choose, and was wont to continue there oftentimes a considerable time. But notwithstanding Christ being so conversant in those cities, yet the greater part of them refused him and continued obstinately unbelieving and impenitent, though he had preached so much among them, and though he had wrought so many miracles in their sight. Therefore Christ, in the text, denounces a woe against Bethsaida and Chorazin, two of them, for it, as he does in the 23rd verse, against Capernaum. And here we may observe the woe itself and the reason of it. Number one, the woe itself. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. This denotes a very extraordinary destruction and misery that they were in danger of. Number two, the reason of it. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, which implies that their perseverance and hardness of heart were much greater than that of Tyre and Zidon. Tyre and Zidon were heathen cities, in whose idolatry they, therefore, had more occasion and opportunity to take notice of them, more than any other. And therefore, Christ mentions them rather than other heathen cities or people. The Jews looked upon themselves much better than the heathen. Doctrine. Sinners, under the means of grace are ordinarily more hardened in sin than the heathen. The inhabitants of Tyre and Zidon and those in Bethsaida and Chorazin were alike by nature. The reason why those heathen cities would have repented at the scene of Christ's mighty works and hearing his doctrine sooner than those cities of the Jews was not because the Jews had naturally harder hearts and were more under the power and dominion of sin than the Tyrians and Sidonians, for all derived the same degree of corruption from the first parents of mankind. But it was because the sinners of Bethsaida and Chorazin lived in the enjoyment of greater light and had greater advantages, which was an occasion of their hearts being harder. Those of Tyre and Zidon had advantages to know the true God and his ways above most of the heathen. For they were bordering upon the land of Canaan, where the true God was known and the true light shined, and had more commerce with the Jews for many ages past than most other nations. But yet those advantages were much inferior to what the Jews enjoyed. So the inhabitants of Sodom mentioned in the 23rd and 24th verses had means used with them to reclaim them. Lot was a preacher of righteousness to them, Second Peter 2 verse 5. And their hardness of heart and perverseness was great, but not equal to that of the Jews of Capernaum. 
We often read of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, that they were a stiff-necked people, and doubtless we are to understand it in comparison with other people. But yet it can't justly be thought that they were worse by nature themselves, but by sinning under such great means as God used with them, they have stiffened their necks and made them like an iron sinew. The scripture history confirms the truth of this doctrine. Jonah was sent to Nineveh to warn them of the approaching destruction they were in danger of. They believed it and humbled themselves and turned from their evil ways. The king of Nineveh himself, though the sovereign of the greatest city and empire in the world, he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. But the Jews, when the prophets one after another warned them of the approaching destruction, and exhorted them by all manner of arguments to turn from their evil ways, they would not hearken, but made their hearts as an adamant stone. Zechariah 7 verse 12 And when Christ went through Samaria and had a little discourse with a woman, a harlot at a well, as he passed along, she believed from his word that she had heard that he was the Christ. And she went and told the men of the city. And we are told that many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. And they went out in droves to Christ to the well and heard him themselves and besought him that he would tarry with them. And he stayed but two days, and at that time many believed on him because of his word, John 5. But at Jerusalem and in Galilee, where he was so often preaching, working miracles for so long a time together, he had little success. And we have the like instance in the 13th of Acts, verse 42, and so on. When the apostle Paul and Barnabas preached at Antioch and Pisidia, the Jews that went out of the synagogue in a dislike. But the Gentiles, they besought the apostles that the same words might be spoken to them the next Sabbath day. And the next Sabbath day came. Almost a whole city came together to hear the word of God. And the Jews, they were filled with envy. They contradicted and blasphemed. And again, when Paul preached at Corinth, many of the Corinthian Gentiles believed. But the Jews contradicted and blasphemed and made an insurrection against Paul. One would have been ready to think the Gentiles would have had far greater prejudices than the Jews, because the Jews had prophecies. The Jewish nation were no worse by nature than other nations, though the wicked of that nation were more hard-hearted and perverse and obstinate than the heathen. Yet they were herein only a mirror in which we may see the spirit and temper of sinners under the means of grace, or within the visible churches in all ages. It was with them, just as it is with sinners in our days under the gospel. There is just the same heart of unbelief and obstinacy now visible in sinners in that part of the world called Christian, and especially in places of such great light as this land. These following reasons may be given why it is thus number one. The consciences of the heathen have never had such violence offered to them, and therefore are not so stupefied as consciences of sinners under the gospel. The heathen seldom have opportunity to offer such violence to their consciences, 
for they don't have those convictions of conscience that gospel sinners have because their consciences haven't been so enlightened. All men have consciences. It is natural to man. It results from the nature of the rational soul. Though man by the fall has wholly defaced the image of God and lost original righteousness, yet conscience remains. The heathen have consciences, Romans 2 verse 15. They have the light of nature, though it be very much clouded and obscured, and they sin against the dictates of their consciences in many of those immoralities which they are guilty of. They know by the light of nature that they ought not to do such and such things, but they have not been bred up in the knowledge of the true God and know his word and have always been taught their duty from this and have the motives with which the word of God enforces it set before them. The light of their consciences are abundantly brighter than it is possible for the heathens to be. The dictates of it are louder, and its convictions are stronger. They know more of their duty in that which the heathen know. They know by abundantly and more certain light. The heathen may have light to discern that these and those things are evil, but those that live under the gospel know much better. They know the degree of such things much better than the heathen. The heathen may know there is an evil in these and those things because they believe a man's nature is sinful, or because they are unfair dealing with their neighbors. But sinners under the means of grace, they know that they are evil not only upon these accounts, but because they are forbidden by the great God, the Creator. And they know the enforcements and sanctions of God's law, its threatenings, and his offers and promises. And therefore the consciences of men under the means of grace have vastly a greater exercise. And therefore when those exercises are resisted and opposed and overcome, there is so much the greater violence offered to the conscience. Greater convictions are overcome and contradicted. They sin against a greater knowledge of their obligations and point of duty and greater light to know the punishment they bring themselves into danger of by it. The gospel sinner's conscience is resisted and violenced, though strengthened with the knowledge of those obligations. God made man. He has sinned, and Christ died. Yet he is resisted. God solemn warnings and threatenings of his eternal wrath and destruction. The heathens never have had an opportunity to offer any such dreadful violence to their consciences, and therefore their consciences have not such wounds given to them, and are not so benumbed and disenabled as the consciences of gospel sinners. A going against the light and convictions of conscience tends to stupefy the conscience, as the general experience of the world evidences. A man, the first time he commits a sin that is much against the convictions and light of his conscience, does it sometimes with great remorse, but afterwards he doesn't much mind. Or the first time a man's flesh is touched with a hot iron, it will cause a great smart, but afterwards if it be touched in the same place, he scarce feels it because his flesh was seared and benumbed. Second Timothy 4 verse 2 Having their consciences seared with a hot iron. And thus gospel sinners are more hardened in sin than the heathen. It is a more difficult thing to awaken the conscience of a sinner that has been brought up under the gospel all his days than to terrify the consciences of one of the heathen.
Gospel sinners, by having their consciences more stupid, are more difficultly wrought upon by the word of God anyway. For conscience is ordinarily the first mover in the mind of man in the concern of religion. This sets man to work. Awakenings and convictions of conscience prepare men for conversion. There is no doing anything with men if we can't awaken their conscience. When Peter preached, here it was they were first smitten. Sinners that live in the enjoyment of the means of grace, they, multitudes of them, have had calls, have had hell torments, their great danger set before them a long time. Now by going on notwithstanding in such a way, their hearts are dreadfully hardened and the conscience exceedingly stupefied. Now the heathen have had no such thing to stupefy their consciences. By enjoying means and standing out against them, they are hardened against them till they become proof against them. Once it is told of hell and stands out against it, becomes hardened against the hearing of it. Number two. Sinners under the means of grace, by being used to hear about the great things of religion, learn to take little notice of them and not to attend to them. Things when they are new to men oftentimes make great impression upon them. They draw their attention and strike them with wonder. But by being constantly used to them, they are unaffected by them and scarcely take notice of them. Thus men are always used to seeing the sun and the moon and the stars, and therefore the sight makes less impression upon their minds than some strange work of human art. So those that are used to the noise of a cannon scarcely take notice of it, which would affright those that had never heard it. Those that are used to be amongst great noise will sleep quietly notwithstanding. So it is with revelations, threatenings, and promises of the gospel to gospel sinners. Take a heathen that never heard any such things, and instruct them in the principles of the Christian religion, and tell them of the infinite power of God and his holiness and hatred of sin, and instruct them about the dreadfulness of hell torments and their eternity, and about the day of judgment and what an awful time that will be, if he can be persuaded into a common belief of those things. And he will probably be surprised. He will be terrified at them. He never heard such things before. And tell him about Christ dying for sinners, who was the eternal Son of God, equal with God, how cruelly he was dealt with by the Jews, and how greatly he loved the world. And he'll probably take great notice of them. They are new things to him. But as for gospel sinners, they have heard such things all their days. They are as natural to them as the successions of day and night. And therefore, those things don't command their attention at all. They take very little notice of them. A minister may stand and set forth hell in the shortness and uncertainty of life, and they can sleep as quietly under it as a man in a mill. The threatening is not yet executed. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11. So he may tell of the mercy of God in Christ dying for sinners. It is an old, dull story. Things exceedingly lose their force with men by their being accustomed to them, when they have no more than a common sense of spiritual things. It is a most difficult thing to make impressions upon their minds by things which have been told them all their days. It is a difficult thing to make them take any great manner of notice of them.
Sins when first proposed may seem dreadful, as a man not used to war is more frightened than once it is. Number three. Sinners that live under the means of grace have their hearts hardened against them by many ill habits and prejudices that the heathen have not. As for example, they have explicitly made their choice. They have had the things of religion, the great rewards of holiness, and the punishment of wickedness set before them. They have had life and death set before them, and notwithstanding they have chosen a wicked life. And this is a great prejudice against making a contrary choice. The heathen have never explicitly made any choice, for they never had the two opposite set before them to choose. They never knew that there was a Christ, or never knew what he was, and so never have so explicitly rejected him as gospel sinners have. They never knew what a holy life was, they never knew what the reward of it was, nor did they ever know what the consequences of a wicked life were and so never had the opportunity to make their choice, and so are as yet free from any prejudice that many a man that has once chosen is prejudiced against a contrary choice, much more than he that never had the offer. And so the heart of a gospel sinner is hardened by a more explicit enmity and rebellion against the true God than a heathen. A heathen has a principle of enmity, a nature that disposes him to hate God and rebel against him. But they have not the means of grace. But a gospel sinner has had God clearly revealed, his perfections described, his law declared, and has, notwithstanding, living under the means of grace, has gotten a habit of it. He is habituated and repented not, which serves to strengthen and increase the habit. As amongst men, a man's frequent injuring and abusing another tends to fix in him more and more a spirit of hatred. So gospel sinners have explicitly condemned God and Christ, learned to condemn God a habit. A man of often affronting and dishonoring another grows in contempt of him. This the heathen have never done in regards to God and Christ. The gospel sinner has a habit of those sins which may be especially called sins against the gospel. Unbelief, contempt of ordinances, they despise mercy and redeeming love. Number four, the heathens never have resisted and quenched the Holy Ghost as sinners under the means of grace. There is ordinarily a measure of the strivings of the Spirit of God that goes along with his appointed means. The gospel is called the ministration of the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 8. It is God's usual way to give the strivings of His Spirit at some time or other to those that are instructed. And generally this is done when they first come to have an understanding of the principles of religion. Those, therefore, that go on and sin under the means of grace have resisted and quenched the Spirit of God, have stifled convictions by their sins, that they have gone on in. And for this, they are much less in the way of his strivings and influences again. Those that have had the strivings of the Spirit and resisted them and quenched the Spirit, their state is worse than before they had the Spirit. The state of backsliders is worse than of those that never had any convictions, Matthew twelve forty five. The last state of that man is worse than the first. 
Application Number 1. Hence we may learn how the word of God proves to some a sweet savor of death. The apostle tells us in 2 Corinthians 2 verses 15 and 16 that he was unto God a savor of Christ both in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the ones we are a savor of death unto death and to the other to the savor of life unto life. It is thus, as has now been explained, means of grace if not well improved, and if they aren't turned to bring benefit, they will be an occasion of a greater hardness of heart, and so will render men's state and condition worse than that of the heathen. As a rain that often descends, that which bears thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Hereby we learn how that ministers are sometimes sent on Isaiah's errand, Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Number 2. Hence we learn one reason why the punishment of the heathen won't be so terrible as the punishment of gospel sinners. Since gospel sinners' hearts are harder, they have more perverseness. Ill habits are more dreadfully fixed in God and godliness. Christ and the gospel more fixedly opposed. Their wickedness, therefore, is greater, and so their punishment will be greater. And therefore it follows in the verse next to the text. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Zidon at the day of judgment than for you. And again in the 24th verse, speaking of Capernaum, But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Sodom was an exceeding wicked place, and doubtless their punishment on the day of judgment will be very dreadful. A thousand times so dreadful is their first overthrow by a storm of fire and brimstone. But yet it will be more tolerable for them than for Capernaum. If you say that Corazin and Bethsaida had extraordinary advantages and that they had Christ himself preaching and working miracles amongst them, I answer that Christ says the same thing of those cities that would not hear his disciples as of those that would not hear him, chapter 10, 14, and 15. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So doubtless it is meant of all that enjoy gospel light. Number three, hence those that are going on in sin amongst us may learn the great danger they are in of never being converted. You have exceedingly hardened your own hearts by your sinning, as you have done under the means of grace you have enjoyed. You are further from conversion now than you were when you were a little child and did not understand the first principles of religion. If a heathen should come amongst us from some place where he never heard of the true God or true religion, and should submit to be instructed in the Christian religion, there would be much more hopes of his conversion than of yours. 
There is great danger that you that have stood out so long in impenitence never will be brought to true and safe in repentance. You that have lived under those extraordinary means that have formerly been enjoyed in this place and aren't converted, the better the means have been that you have neglected, the greater the light you have sinned against, the harder is your heart, and the more are you exposed to eternal damnation. You have done great violence to your conscience, and now there is no awakening of it. It is like flesh seared with a hot iron. You have chosen your way. You have many a time explicitly and knowingly and designedly rebelled against God and affronted Him. You have enjoyed all the ordinances that God has instituted. You had hell set before you times without number, and you haven't been terrified, and you are become proof against all such things. You have quenched the Spirit of God when He has been striving with you, and you have done those things that the heathen never did. Number four. So that a reason why some are so long concerned about their souls and seeking salvation, and yet never are converted, it is because their hearts are so hardened by living in sin under the means of grace. Otherwise, it is said of Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. When the apostles in the primitive times preached among the heathen, why they were very frequently suddenly converted, their work was soon over. But amongst us, persons are commonly a long while concerned in seeking before they obtain, and oftentimes make no progress and never obtain at all, but death overtakes them. They die and go to hell at last. It is because they live so long in sin under the means of grace before they set about seeking. Therefore, let none live in sin any longer, for it will still more and more harden your heart. If living in sin under the means of grace makes a heart so hard, a living longer makes it still harder. Don't go on, therefore, for if you do, it will be less and less probable that ever you will be converted. Jonathan Edwards, Sinners Under the Means of Grace More Hardened Than the Heathen Still Waters Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, 
familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.